Well, good morning, Hallows Church. I hope each of you are doing well. Um, please know that you're being prayed for and that we are working in the midst of all the limitations to provide you with encouragement and support uh, during this season. One small semblance of normalcy that we have is being able to come together, even in a virtual format, to study the Word, to dive into the Scriptures together. And so uh, wherever you are right now, let me invite you to grab your Bibles and turn them open to Acts chapter 16. Now, it may seem odd that that we are still doing a series that's all about movement when none of us can really go anywhere. <laughs> Trust me, that, that irony is not lost on me, but I do believe that there's still so much God wants to speak to us in our current situation through the book of Acts. And When you consider the book of Acts, really what you find happening is that Jesus is on the move, and there are times when Jesus is moving even when his people can't move. And as we sit here today, we know that our Savior is still moving throughout the city of Seattle. He's still moving in our lives and around the world, even when we can't move and as we are confined to certain spaces and places over these next several weeks. And so as we get ready to dive into this study this morning, let me voice a prayer for us and we will do just that. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts to receive your word this morning. I pray that you would fill my mouth with words that will be of benefit and a blessing to all who are hearing. God, we thank you that you are an unstoppable God and that you are moving today even if we can't move. And so we are trusting you and the purposes you have for our church, for our city, for this world, uh, even through the season of, of this unprecedented pandemic as far as our lifetime is concerned. And so, Lord, we ask for all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one thing I've been meditating about as I've um, thought about the coronavirus is that, it, you know, it is an indiscriminate threat, that this virus shows no prejudice in who it infects. It infects rich and poor, young and old. Uh, there's no type of person who will be exempt from its impact. It can potentially affect anyone and everyone. And a couple of weeks ago, Madonna uh, voiced a very similar sentiment. Now, she said a lot of things that caught some social flack. Uh, to fall upon her. But one thing she did say that I do agree with, she said, the thing about COVID-19 is it doesn't care about how rich you are or how famous you are or how funny you are, how smart you are, where you live, how old you are, what amazing stories you can tell. It's the great equalizer. Now, I agree with much of what she is saying, but I would qualify one thing. I don't believe COVID-19 is the great equalizer. I just believe it is a equalizer. I don't think this virus is making us equal. I think this virus is revealing the fact that we already are equal. That in our shared humanity, we are subject to the wear and tear of life in a fallen world. And until Jesus returns, sickness and death will, will come for everyone. And so today's virus has many people thinking about their mortality for the first time in a long time. And so this virus shows no prejudice and who it seeks to infect, but here's the deal. The only way to overcome an indiscriminate threat is by taking refuge in an indiscriminate Savior. A Savior who, is no, who shows no prejudice in who he seeks to save. A Savior who will rescue and redeem people from every nation, every tribe, every language, and every tongue. A Savior that disqualifies no one from the salvation he provides. He disqualifies no one on the basis of their socioeconomic status or their ethnic linguistic culture. We 
have an indiscriminate Savior that we can take refuge in during seasons like these. And today's passage showcases that. Because in today's passage, we're going to see Jesus saving three people who are completely different from each other. And what I want to do this morning is, uh, for those of you who are tuned in and maybe you're not yet a Christian, you are not living by faith in Jesus. You're not trusting him for salvation. And if that's your situation, I want you to listen today from the perspective of the people who are rescued in this passage. But then those of you who are Christians, those of you who are living by faith in Jesus, I want you to listen today from the perspective of those Jesus uses to reach people because I'm going to apply this passage to both of you at different points uh, over the course of our study. Now, our passage begins in a way that is not entirely unlike our current situation. Beginning in verse 6 of chapter 16, this is what we read. It says, They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, they there refers to Paul and Silas and uh, their missionary crew that's traveling to make Jesus known. They, they are moving physically around the world, but we're told there that the Holy Spirit prevented them from going where they wanted to go. So we keep reading. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus, once again, did not allow them to. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him. Cross over to Macedonia and help us. After you had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. So what I want you to think about is how the Spirit of God prevented Paul and his crew from going where they wanted to go and from doing what they wanted to do. That God and his providence interrupted their plans. And he interrupts their plans because he had another plan and another purpose in mind. So rather than going to parts of Asia, God directed their efforts to Macedonia, which today would span parts of northern Greece and the Balkan Peninsula. And we're told twice that the Holy Spirit disrupted and redirected their efforts. It seems as though God has, dis has and it seems in this moment that God has disrupted and, and redirected our missionary efforts that our lives have been interrupted and, and we know that our God is sovereign in every moment of every day and he's sovereign over every season. He's sovereign over every crisis, including our current one. And although we cannot go anywhere, we want to go and we can't do all the things that we may want to do. We are going to trust that God has a greater purpose in mind, that the virus sweeping the world right now is not ultimately in charge. Dr. Anthony Falsi, uh, the country's top infectious disease expert, pointed out this past Wednesday that the virus should determine the timeline for the pandemic. And on one level, that is absolutely correct. So we want to be realistic about when things may seem to be normal once again or kind of getting back to a little bit of that. We, we want to be realistic about the timeline because the virus has a lot to say about that. But on another level, uh, that's not correct. Because behind the timeline of the virus, there is a sovereign God who will ultimately determine the timeline and the outcome of our current pandemic. Therefore, we're not just to be realistic as followers of Jesus in this time. We are to be hopeful during this time. 
We want to be people who exercise hopeful realism that our God is sovereign over our current crisis and he's going to take this virus which is intended for evil and he's going to work it for good. So we trust in God's providence. We trust in God's purposes. We pivot our plans to align ourselves up with what God is doing this very moment, including in the midst of our limitations. It may not be what we want, but it is what's needed for the fulfillment of his purposes because God is sovereign. And I assure you, time will tell. Time will tell what those purposes are. So although we cannot move about as freely as we once did, that doesn't mean there's no purpose in what can be done during these days at this time. And so God steers Paul and Silas away from where they wanted to go towards a place that he wanted them to be. And so he moves them to Macedonia, where there are particular people he wanted them to reach in particular ways. In the missionaries land in the city of Philippi, and, and notice what happens in verse 13. It says, On the Sabbath day we went outside the city gate by the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. She was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her husband were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So this first scene involves a woman named Lydia. She was a white-collar professional who owned her own business. She sold purple goods, which were luxurious items. This is a woman who would fit well here in Seattle, where there are so many strong, working women in our city. But she's also described as a God-fearer. This means that she has drawn near to the God of Israel, but she does not yet know the Messiah. She doesn't know the Savior. So she was a religious woman as well as a professional woman. And she and some friends gathered to pray outside the city gate by a river. Now, this is probably due to the fact that there was no synagogue in Philippi at that time. Because according to Jewish tradition, there had to be at least 10 uh, male heads of households in a city to start a synagogue. And if there wasn't one, then God-fearers had to get creative. They had to make the most of what was available to them. And so oftentimes they'd meet outside under the open sky near a river or sea so they could perform cleansing rituals. And, and these groups would usually gather on the Sabbath for prayer and to study the Old Testament scriptures. And usually when Paul entered a city, he'd go straight to the synagogue. But since there wasn't a synagogue, he had to find another way to uh, start sharing the gospel in Philippi. And he learned about this devout group. So he and his companions go to them. They sit down and begin to speak with them. And as he's speaking to them, verse 14 says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Now, what do you think Paul said to this professional religious woman? She was no doubt, like some of you who are listening now, she was self-assured, she was ambitious, she was capable and competent. She probably started this group because she was a leader and a go-getter. Maybe she took the same approach to her relationship with God. Maybe she thought she could follow God's rules and get to God on her own. Is, is that what you might think? So perhaps Paul 
took this moment to explain that no one can get to God on their own. And since no one can get to God on their own, maybe he took this moment to explain to her that God has come down to us. And then he moves into the gospel to say, look, the, the gospel is that Jesus came into this world to follow God's rules for us, that he lived a perfect life of obedience. He died on the cross to cover our unrighteousness, and he rose from the grave to save imperfect people like every one of us. You see, religion tells people, here is what you must do to be saved. And people work themselves to the bone trying to be better than they actually are, but the gospel tells us, here is what Jesus has done. See, religion and reputations have ruined many people by blinding them to their need for Jesus. And regardless of how successful or devout or reputable a person may be, every person still needs Jesus. And so I pray that your heart is open so that you might respond by putting your faith in Jesus' performance rather than your own. What I love about this moment is that there was nothing dramatic about Lydia's conversion. It happened through a simple, straightforward sharing of the gospel. As Paul was teaching and sharing, her heart just opened up to receive what he had said. Now we should never minimize that type of conversion when the Holy Spirit takes the key of the word and he puts it into the lock of a person's heart and he turns it. The door opens and his spirit enters, and in that moment, something glorious happens. Something eternal takes place. And God may be doing the same thing in your heart right now. You may find your heart opening up to Jesus as you are hearing this teaching. And if that's your situation, let me encourage you to, to, to let me know, to let our church know so that we can help you grow in your new life with Jesus, so that you may be Begin to serve Jesus the way Lydia begins to serve Jesus in this passage. You can let us know just by emailing me. You can email me at andrew at hallowschurch.org and let me know what's going on in your heart and give me the privilege and the opportunity to, to pray with you and to talk with you and to help you get plugged into what Jesus wants to do, into all that Jesus wants to do in your life. Now, for those of you who, aren't, who um, are Christians, You've put your faith in Jesus. I want you to consider in this moment how you might engage in the ministry of the word. A crisis such as COVID-19 arouses people's interest in religion and spiritual matters. You have neighbors and friends who are more open now than ever to join you in studying the Bible and learning about Jesus. So I want to challenge you to, to prayerfully think of ways to leverage technology to host a Bible study. Get as creative as these, as these women in this passage who didn't have a synagogue to go to, so they got creative about where they could meet and how they could go about their study together. Let me encourage you to be just as creative. Leverage technology to host a Bible study. Invite people in your life to join you in perhaps reading one of the four, one of the four Gospels. I'd recommend that you rec read through the Gospel of John with someone. And perhaps... Perhaps God has disrupted your regular rhythms to redirect your efforts to do just that. So pray about people to invite, pray for them to be open to your invitation, and schedule some virtual gatherings to read and to study about Jesus together. Engage in the ministry of the Word. You can still do that from where you are right now. Well, the scene shifts to a, 
polar opposite person beginning in verse 16. We pick up reading. It says that once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed, so turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And this spirit came out of her immediately, right away. Now, this girl is different from Lydia in every conceivable way. Lydia was wealthy and independent. This girl is poor and enslaved. Lydia was religious and moral. This girl is demonized. Lydia was seeking God through the Old Testament. This girl is attacking God and annoying God's servants, God's apostles. So she's mocking Paul and Silas as she's following them around the city, making these declarations. Lydia is a person everyone expected to come to faith. No one was surprised when Lydia came to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But this girl is one that no one would have expected. This girl is one that no one would have ever guessed could be saved by Jesus. This is a girl who was in double bondage. She was enslaved to harsh, to really these hard taskmasters. Excuse me. She was enslaved to these hard taskmasters. And she was possessed by an evil spirit that enabled her to read palms and to tell fortunes. So it's a very uh, spiritualist, occultist type situation that she finds herself in. Now, as an aside, let me, let me tell you, let me encourage you never to mistake the supernatural or the super spiritual for divine activity. Seattle is a very spiritual city. And it's often assumed that if something is spiritual or even supernatural, then it's always good. But nothing could be farther from the truth. What this girl was apparently able to do was supernatural. But rather than being divine or of God, it, it was demonic. Oftentimes, strange and satanic activity takes place when the gospel is on the move, when Jesus is, is moving through a city and he's working through a circumstance. That will oftentimes arouse strange and satanic activity to oppose it and to uh, irritate it and to try to bother it so that it stops. Now, the enemy had witnessed the work of God's grace in Lydia's life. And here it seems that he's strategizing to put a stop to it, using this little girl that he has enslaved. And so this oppressed girl begins to follow Paul and mock him. Now, what's ironic about this moment is that everything she says is technically true. There was a writer from a previous generation who pointed out, you know, Satan will say 100 things that are true to set you up for the 101 thing that is false. A few years ago, Kim and I received a phone call from her mother who was visiting family in Vietnam. She and her family received an urgent invitation to visit a sick woman's bedside. And this woman had a reputation for receiving visions about people. She'd get sick until she could share that vision with those that it concerned. And apparently she had a vision about my mother-in-law and our family here in Seattle. Some of the things she said when she talked to my mother-in-law were, were factually true. 
And that scared Kim's mom. It confused her, and so she called us out of fear and told us what was happening. And We were listening to her speak, and we just kind of paused for a moment. We stepped back and began to pray and to consider and asking God to help us discern what was happening in that moment. And, and in response, what we counseled her with was, was this thought, that just because something is supernatural, that does not mean it's divine. The voice of the devil often imitates the voice of God. And discernment is required unless you and I become deceived and oppressed by our spiritual adversaries. And the reason why this is relevant for us right now is because during times of crisis, people may start looking for help in alternative spiritualities and in cultic practices. In desperation, they may run to something that might be of use to them, and they may even find in these alternative spiritualities something that alleviates their concerns for a moment. They may even experience something supernatural. But just because it is supernatural, that does not mean it's divine. The devil often describes him, um, the devil often disguises himself as a messenger of light. He conceals himself to present himself as attractive, but, but in the end, all of his phantom promises and all of his shrewd tactics, they only serve to enslave people. They only serve to oppress people. And so they, he works to cut people off and to hold people back from the abundant and free life that Jesus gives to those who call upon him. See, there's only one person who can shepherd you through our current crisis, and his name is Jesus. He brings liberty to those who are held captive by the enemy. And in this story, Jesus displays that power when Paul commands the spirit to come out of that little girl, and Jesus sets her free. And I want you to know that he can set you free too. Jesus can liberate, liberate you from any demonization that is taking place in your life right now. If you think you are being enslaved and oppressed by our spiritual adversaries, I encourage you to cry out to Jesus for help. Once again, you can email me, Andrew at Hallows Church. Myself and others in our community are available to provide counsel and to help you in your time of need. And and so consider that dynamic. But then, for those of you who are Christians and you're following Jesus, I want you to consider the broad method that's employed here in this moment. Salvation came to Lydia through the instructive words of Jesus' followers. Liberation came to this young girl through the powerful works of Jesus' followers. The gospel moves through both the words and the works of his people to reach people. And so let me encourage you to consider what might you do for your neighbors now to display the power and presence of Jesus in our current crisis? How might you bring relief to those who find themselves anxious and afraid as a result of all that is happening? Perhaps the enemy is taking advantage of the current crisis to, to gain more ground in people's psyche and in people's lives. What can you do for our neighbors that would demonstrate 
to them and to anyone else that Jesus enables us to live and to love and to serve above the fray, above the fray of chaos and confusion and fear. Can you drop groceries or other essential supplies off at someone's door who's considered high risk? Can you draw the connection between what you might do for others and the gospel of Jesus? Now, the third and final scene in this passage takes place in a prison cell. After the young girl is liberated, her her handlers get mad. They can no longer profit from her services, so they conspire to have Paul and Silas beaten. They're thrown in prison. Their feet are placed in stocks, and they couldn't go anywhere or do anything that they might have wanted to do. So you would think that their mission and their ministry would have come to a standstill, that there was nothing left to be done. But look at verse 25. Verse 25 says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Just imagine the scene of these two guys worshiping their way through their prison sentence. Think about the impact their worship would have on those around them. Perhaps you saw the video of quarantined Brazilians lifting candles and turning their lights on each evening to sing in unison the hymn we sung a moment ago, Because He Lives. Hearing people worship Jesus in the midst of being quarantined and in the midst of their social isolation was a, is a powerful testimony of the gospel. And what a powerful witness it is for your neighbors, perhaps, to hear you singing to Jesus from where you are week in and week out. What an effective example to those who are suffering without that same hope to hear you singing and celebrating your hope in times like these. This is why when we worship virtually in your homes and in your apartments and in your condos, various places, I want you to sing aloud. Sing aloud. Let people hear the source of your hope. And so as Paul and Silas are in prison here and they're singing and we're told that an earthquake struck, Tragedy fell upon the city, and everyone's chains came loose, and the door to their cells opened up. Notice verse 27. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you you excuse me, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. He took uh, He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God along with his entire household. His entire household came to faith in this moment. So the third person whose life is changed by Jesus in this story was a Roman jailer. Jailers were almost always retired soldiers. It was a comfortable retirement gig for people back in the day. This was a, so you, we can say that this was a blue-collar guy who took a lot of pride in hard work. 
and when the earthquake struck, he assumed that all the prisoners had escaped, which meant that he failed his duty. Not being able to stomach that thought, he drew his sword to take his own life. But then Paul intervened. He and Silas had remained, and all the other prisoners followed in their example. They wanted to be with these men who were worshiping their way through prison. Overwhelmed by such an act, and no doubt having heard the hope found in the hymns these men sung, he asked them, what must I do to be saved? And in a moment of opportunistic evangelism, they answered, believe in Jesus. And that's exactly what he and his entire household did. They put their faith in Jesus. Now, I suspect that this season has some of you thinking about ways in which you have not measured up to your own expectations. Ways in which you have not done a very good job. And maybe that thought process has you spiraling into despair. And if that is your situation, I want you to know that we are here with you and that we are here for you. We as the church are not going anywhere. We are here to help you see that Jesus loves you and that Jesus wants you and that Jesus will rescue you. Perhaps those of you who are not yet Christians, you, you find yourself thinking about Christians you've known over the course of your life and, and you find yourself remembering the example of faith and hope and love that they set for you. You find yourself wanting to be a part of that same reality and and if that's the case, I encourage you to reach out to them. Reach out to them. Ask the questions about salvation that have gripped your heart. Ask them about Jesus. I am sure they will be happy to help you. They will be happy to serve you in this time. Or perhaps you've lost contact with them. And if that's the case, you can always reach out to me with whatever questions you might have. And whatever your questions might be, <laughs> the answer I'm going to give you is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to all the important questions that we ask in times like these. Now, for those of you who are Christians, I want you to know that, that crises like these often create opportunities for sharing the gospel. Earthquakes, pandemics, they can create the same opportunities. And so in this season, don't underestimate the power of your example. The way you walk through this current crisis will speak volumes to those around you. The way you continue to exercise faith in Jesus and show concern for neighbors will, will leave an indelible imprint on their lives. Don't be surprised when people start asking you questions about the hope that you have. Don't be surprised when people start initiating conversations with you about what you believe. In the book of 1 Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter is addressing Christians who are suffering and going through some hard stretches of life, and he encourages them in that moment, in your hearts, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. Like Paul in prison, like Peter addressing Hurting Christians in the first century, you and I have an opportunity now to receive questions from those who are hurting, from those who are scared, from those who are fearful of the future. Be prepared to point those around you to Jesus over and over and over again. We might not be able to go where we want to go, and 
do what we want to do, but that doesn't mean there's no purpose. And there's no divine design behind what we can do right now. We can seek out ways to minister to others in words, in deeds, and in the example we set for them during this season. Our Savior is on the move even if we are not able to move. He is going to rescue all kinds of different people, and He's going to use all kinds of different methods to do so. So are you ready, church? Are you tuning in and aligning your life up with what God is doing during these strange days? Jesus is still moving even when we can't. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for being, once again, an unstoppable Savior. We we trust that you are at work right now to rescue and to redeem people and to bring them into your family. I pray that you would help us to find our place in that process. That you would be with each and every one of your people who are part of our church right now. Would you align us up with your purposes? Would you tune us in to what you are doing? Would you give us faith to minister to others in creative ways through words, through deeds, and even setting examples? And Father, I pray for those who have heard this message now and those who are not yet following Jesus or trusting in Jesus. They do not know the hope that we have. I pray that you would open their hearts so that they might receive your gospel and put their faith in Jesus. I pray that you would liberate them from any demonic influence and oppression that is holding them back from the Savior. I pray that you would remind them of the examples of faith that they have seen in other believers up to this point in time, and I pray that you would rekindle and reconnect them so that their questions can be asked and the Savior may be found. God, we ask and we pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.